Okay, so we're continuing Sefer Yoshua. We are, I think we're in chapter 13. I'm not sure chapter because 12. I have to bring my book from now on. I have to bring uh-huh. it, take it out of my book. So we did, uh, in chapter 12, we're, we're basically at the tail end of the book of Yoshua, which, which we're going to kind of... So there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, wars. This, well, no, so no, far there have been a lot of wars. Now there's a lot of... We're going to see a lot of uh, allocation of land and things like that. We... At the end of chapter 12, which I'm not even sure if we did, uh, there was a list of all of the kings that were conquered. If you remember, um, we have seen throughout the various wars, the first two wars with Jericho and I, and then the war of the south and the war of the north, it was a total of like 14 kings. Now, the, the book is not giving us all of the details. It's not giving us uh, all of the wars. Because if you look in chapter... 12 at the end it's going to list all of the wars all the kings that Yoshua conquered now whenever we say kings what are we referring to are these the emperors these are heads no, of tribes heads of tribe, okay? yes like As uh, sheikhs, sheikhs like, like sheikhs, sheikhs yeah something like that very very small tribes I would be considered we said was a few thousand people and they had a king yes. we're talking about heads of tribes and there are 31 of those okay there are 31 kings that are conquered okay now, from here you see that the book of Yoshua is not describing every last conquest of Yoshua. We've seen about half. And it seems like we've seen the main ones. We've seen the one upon the entry into the land, Yericho. We've seen the one in which Bnei Israel failed, which was I. Then we saw the main war with the southern kings, that we broke the southern kings, that big alliance, which was you know, a, probably a very big conquest. And then we broke the northern kingdom's uh, uh, alliance, which was also a very important conquest, and that kind of cleared up the air. But the small kings that we probably overran in a day or two, or nothing really eventful happened other than, you know, typical war, or the sun didn't stop in the middle of the war, or something like that, they were seemed to have been left out of the recounting of all these stories. So there's a lot more that Yoshua did than what we've seen. We've just seen the main things. And that we could prove from the list of kings that he conquered, okay? I guess let's start and turn in the Psukim from chapter 13. If anybody wants to open their book or if I'm going to be it's fine. Okay, chapter 13, verse 1. Yoshua was old. He, had, he was uh, elderly in age or he, was, he had come in age or whatever the, the phrase means. Um, and God told him, you have become old and the land, much of it has been left to be conquered. This is something that's going to actually be interesting. We're going to see that even with all the 31 kings that Yoshua conquered, the land wasn't completely eradicated of its current inhabitants. Whatever, the idea of how many years have passed now? Yeah. The Chachamim tell us. The Chachamim tell us it took seven years to finish the conquest from the time we entered the land. So seven years of war. And then it says that we divided the land for another seven. In total, it's a 14-year process. That's what the Chachamim say. Okay? But, uh, I think... Sorry. No, please go. He lived 50 years after he uh, uh, started entering Israel, right? Mm. From what I remember, he lived another 50 years. Well, I don't know. I don't know that. I mean, I don't know where where that's from. I'm not the very good at the calculations. In the Tanakh, I've seen somewhere, but anyway, maybe if you bring where. the source, we'd have to make make sense of it because it seems like Yoshua is becoming old now, at the end of the conquest. So and the conquest, years. according to other Mefarshim, uh, it was a seven-year thing. We're going to see how they prove the seven-year conquest. Um, 
Because someone, Kalev, when he gets his portion, Kalev is still alive. If you remember, Kalev is from the parasha of the coming week, parasha Shalach, in which he doesn't fall prey to the, you know, the hysteria about not going into Israel because we're going so to get defeated. Hashem promised and him Hashem to promised him to go into the land because he was he, he lived, actually he will, lived, will to lived, go, he and he long. lived long enough to get into the land. He's going to make a reference to the sin of the spies. And he's going to say how many years have passed. So from that calculation, we're going to know what number year we're in relative to the sin of the spies. We know sin of the spies happened in the second year of our journeys in the desert. So whatever reference he makes, we'll be able to calculate exactly what year we're in now after the conquest. Okay? When he gives the land, then again, each tribe... Has still to do some wars to come. Yeah, it's not, exactly, not finished. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It is again. Uh, there's a whole, just the beginning. Uh, yeah. What, what ends up happening? Goes into the land that they give. Then again, they have to. They're gonna have look war. Yes, Yoshua uh, and the nation. The nation as united force basically tackled the main objectives, but there are going to be various peoples that remain in the land that we're going to discuss. That once the land is divided by lot then each individual tribe is going to be obligated to take care of their own lot. Meaning to make sure that their lot is, is cleaned up of all of its inhabitants, okay? You get, you, get, you get how that works? The reason I'm emphasizing that is because that lays the groundwork for the story of, of the Shofetim. If you look at the book of Shofetim, which Be'ez Hashem will actually start sooner than you, you think, maybe in like five weeks or something will be up to Shofetim already. Um, the main premise of the book is that the tribes are not united. And then each individual tribe is constantly having trouble with its neighbor or its Canaanite presence. And that's kind of the groundwork for the Book of Shofidim, okay? No, like these uh, wars are wars that the tribes are conquering or they're defending themselves because they're being attacked by like residual smaller tribes and stuff like that. What are, what are, it's both. I mean, I mean, so far from what we've seen, it's been a combination. Yes. Oh. Yericho we attacked, I we attacked, but then the wars of uh, when Giv'on... Um, made peace treaty with Israel. So the southern kings decided to attack Yvon, so we kind of helped them as part of our peace treaty, so we were defending them. Uh, the northern tribes tried to attack us, so that was the war of defense. Uh, I meant after oh, afterwards? It seems like it's, it's conquest. Yeah, it seems like it's conquest. Still but, the, the idea is Hashem told him. Yeah, Hashem told him. Yeah, told him. He's still conquest. Yes, we, 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 we have not moved the inhabitants out. Now, what's the, I mean, if you want to discuss this topic, what's the significance of removing the inhabitants? Purifying the culture. Purifying the culture, exactly. That's very well said. It's not, there's no, there's no xenophobic, like, uh, racial issue here that we have, that we hate these people and we just want the, you know. Also, Hashem commanded, commanded the, the nation. Allah commanded it because the, the moral, like, there's clearly a moral dilemma. I mean, we're very, we have very modern moral sensitivities or sensibilities, so, like, for us to, to even think about a war of conquest, we think immediately is not appropriate, right? But the Torah has a larger objective, which is to preserve Am Israel and to preserve Am Israel as the moral force of the world. The only force in the world that actually has a monotheistic ethic. <coughs> so you have two options. You could either be morally kind to the inhabitants of the land and just become like them, polytheistic people with no morals that burn their children and serve them to Molech. Or you can eradicate the people of the land and preserve the one moral yeah. ideology that exists in the entire world, right? So that's kind of the, the, the debate here. And then even today, we still find moral issues. It's like, it's still hard for us to imagine how they were eradicating those people. But this is really the option. 
You know, you had no, there was no third option. You couldn't keep the polytheistic people who were burning their children in, in uh, Israel. You couldn't keep them in place and then also survive as a monotheistic people. As you've seen, as we're going to see in the book of Shofetim over and over again, the people continuously slide into Abu Dazara. Continuously. Even at the end of Yoshua, there's going to be a hint of concern that people are sliding into Abu Dazara. Okay, so... So that's the issue here. Okay, let's go to Pasuk Bet. And we still have it today. We have it today, of course. We have it today in a, in a, a different, different sense. In a different... Uh... It's in a different sense. Okay. Right, what chapter? We're in chapter 13. Right, let's go Pasuk Bet. So God tells Yoshua, uh, what did he tell Yoshua? He said, there's a lot left to conquer. He said, and this is the land that's left over. The, the areas of the Pilishtim and the Geshuri. The Canaanite territories from the Shichor next to Egypt until Ekron. Again, I don't know where these places are, but just imagine that God is now telling Yoshua what's left to be conquered, okay? That's from the Canaanites. Then there are five princes of Pilishtim you have to conquer the Azati, the Ashdodi, Ashkeloni. By the way, do you know these, uh, these cities? Yeah, Ashdod, yeah, Ashkelon, Gat. So it's a, it's a fascinating thing. Today, all of the lands of Western Israel have names that are associated with the Pilishtim of then. The Ashdodim, I mean Aza, we know. Aza is Gaza. Okay, so that we don't even have anymore. Ashdodi, which is Ashdod further north. Ashkelon is between them on the coast. Gat, anybody know where Gat is? Gat is a little bit further east. From Gaza, it's where Maruf lives. Okay, so that's also near the area of Pelishtim. And uh, Ekron, I don't know where Ekron, I don't know where Ekron is. And Avim, okay, just interesting. From the south, the land of the Canaanites, from the uh, area of the Tzidonim until the area of the Amorites, these all have to be conquered. To the east, uh, from God Tahat Har Khamon Ad Libuhamat until Libuhamat. Again, I'm not exactly sure where all these places are. This is somewhere in the north what he just described. Kol Yoshaveha Harmina Lebanon ad Misrefot Maim Kolat Sidonim, all at Sidonim, Anohi Orishem. I'm going to conquer them in Pene Bene Israel. I will chase them out for Bene Israel. Rakapilel Israel bin Halakashativideha. And this is the key element of the Pasuk. Your job, Yehoshua now, is just give it to Am Israel in as a portion. And this is where he says explicitly what Giacomo was saying, is the main united front of Bnei Israel, let's say the IDF, uh, was able to break the main arteries and the main wars and uh, alliances of the Canaanite peoples. The rest of these small things that we're describing now, give it to the local tribe in, in their portion, and I will help the tribe to conquer. conquer. Okay, and that's what's going to happen now. Okay, Pasuk Zayn. And now please divide this land for the tribes by the nine and a half tribes. The, the nine tribes and the half tribe of Menashe. As you know, Reuven, God, and Chatzim Menashe, they took their portion on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They have not dwelled there yet because they were first here. They had their, they, and we know they kept their promise because yes. the book of Yosha yes. said they kept their promise. Okay? Pasuk 
with them, the Reubenites and the Gadites, they took with the Menashe, half people Menashe, the Reubenites and the Gadites, they took their portion that Moshe gave them on the eastern side of the Jordan River, uh, as Moshe, the servant of God, gave them. These are their cities where they already took. Aroer, Arnon, Mishor, Medeva, Divon, these are all places on the eastern side. The cities of Sichon, king of the Amorites, that, that he uh, ruled over Cheshbon until the uh, border of Amon, the Gilad, the Gilad area, which we know uh, was given to Minashe specifically, that's in the book of Tibarim. Um, uh, the Gishuri, the Ma'achati, all the Har Khermon, Har Khemon, Bashan at Salcha. Okay, this we all gave to the Minashe. I think Minashe was further, further north. Okay, because we have the Har Khemon today, no? Yeah. Which is part of the Golan Heights. Yeah, 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 north, all the way north. It's all the way north, which is a little bit to the east. So yeah. that makes sense, okay? Kol Mamlachud Og Babashan, Hashem Malach, Be'asharot, Be'edre'i, Hu Nishar Mieter Arafaim, Ba'yakem Moshe Ba'yirushem. All the kingdom of Og in the Bashan, that he was the king over Asharot and Adrei, he was leftover of the giants, a specific class of people that were very large, and Moshe struck them and he conquered them. But the Bnei Israel did not conquer the Gishurites and the Machatites, and they dwelt amongst the Israelites until this very day. And this is the first pasuk. Potentially negative pasuk we're going to see, but there's going to be a lot of this. Of people that Benesia did not conquer. You know, we conquered Sihon and Og, but who did we not conquer? Geshur and Ma'acha. And these people, Geshur and Ma'acha, they dwelt with Bnei Israel until this very day. But they mixed with the Jews? But Gibbonites, we made a deal with them. We made a deal with the Gibbonites. They fooled us. Uh, why is it not mentioned in what sense? I don't know. Gibbonites were also not driven out. Maybe, I don't know. I, I, honestly, I don't remember this list. Well, let's read f- f- through it and then we'll see if the Gibbonites are mentioned. Okay. Now, who didn't get a tri- Who didn't get a portion? Tribe of Levi. Okay. Shimon didn't get it either. Shimon got as because they kind of got lost into the tribe yes, of were, Yehuda. They, they were, yeah, yeah. So they didn't get their portion. No. no. They were, they were Shimon is uh, is like the is like the sad case of the tribes, but they're considered to have gotten a portion. They just kind of combined their tribe with Yehuda. Nine and a half. That's mentioned in there. Nine and a half would include, no, because we have nine and a half and two and a half, so, so you have twelve. That's twelve. You take out Levi, but then you add Menashe and Ephraim. No, Levi is not twelve. No, but you add Menashe and Ephraim, meaning there are thirteen yeah. inclusive so, of Menashe and Ephraim. No, 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 Levi is not part of it. I know, but we, we were, we're, we're saying twelve, right? Twelve, but doesn't in, that twelve doesn't include Levi. It does not include Levi, right. but who does include instead? Menashe. One of Menashe and Ephraim. Yeah, yeah right. Your so that gets us back to twelve, no? You know, which is Menashe and Ephraim. Right. Okay. So that we are back to 12 again without Levi. Without Levi. But then you're without saying it also doesn't include Shimon. But it does include Shimon. That nine and a half that you just read includes Shimon. Includes Shimon, exactly. Okay, so we're all on the same page. Yeah, yeah. it includes Shimon. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. Uh, Only the tribe of Levi didn't get a portion. There, the fires of God, like the korbanot that people bring, I think that's the Peshat of Isha Adonai. Uh, the Korbanot that people bring, that's what is going to be their portion. Meaning they're, they're carried by the people. They're carried by the offerings to God. Okay, that's their, that's their job and that's also their payment. Okay? 
What's the brilliance behind the emphasis on the Levim not getting land? Why is it so brilliant? You have to know, you have to know the culture of the time um, to understand why it's so brilliant. But the, the, uh, if you look at Egypt, for example, who were the people that were always carried and always paid for by Paro? The, the, the priests. priests. Exactly. And the non-Jewish, the Abu Dazara priests. Yeah. The, the priests in those days were always fabulously wealthy because they tied up with the king. And there was a lot of obviously corruption between the sure. people who controlled their religion, which was the basically the still ability today. to control still, the minds, right? And the priests, in, in being representatives of the gods, were basically like the propaganda outlet of the king because they had access to people's desires and their wills and their minds. And they could typically Gu brainwash they whoever guide, they wanted. They could guide them so they could them. guide the minds of the people. And then the, the pharaoh, whoever was a leader, would always combine basically with the priest to the extent that the power would also become a king. So the whole thing became, for the purposes of control and power, was this kind of like a axis of, of Cohen slash king that was always kind of of the same category, right? So the priests would collect a lot of money and they would become very wealthy. Taxes, the, taxes were... the taxes were distributed to the priests. Not only the taxes, it was they had land when other people couldn't have land. When other people were enslaved or were taxed, in labor, the Kwanim did not have to partake in that. So they were always like the upper echelon, the high class. And they became very wealthy through land ownership because they controlled a lot of the land. The Jewish people, we from the outset, build the Levim to be servants of the people who do not have any land. They can yeah, only eat if I bring a korban and they help me bring my korban. When they get paid for their services and bring the korban off, but they're not allowed to buy any land. They don't have any land, so they can't become very wealthy. It doesn't wouldn't make sense for a levi to there's be no, extremely wealthy. No so there is no correction. If no, you see no a levi is very wealthy, you know that there's corruption there, and yeah. you could spot it out. But there there shouldn't be a reason for a levi to be very wealthy. But, Rabbi, but the Quran, unfortunately, also our Quranim, we go forward. They also became corrupted. They also started becoming big problems. Uh, but I, the Quranim yes, became corrupted. After that, yesterday was. We, the Kohanim become corrupted, especially with the Hashmonaim. And when, when was that? When was it that they became corrupted? When they combined the kingship with the Kuna. Meaning it's the, same, it's the same issue. It's the same issue of using the religious power. And instead of using it... Oh, wow. We may not have a recording for the first one. Um, the, instead of using the religious power for good... They're, instead of using the religious influence for good, they're using it for power, which is the, the main issue. And that's, this is what the Torah is trying to avoid by Levim not having any land. Okay? Um, Moshe gave the land to the tribe of Reuven according to their families. We're going to go through the tribes, uh, these tribes on the east, what they got. Okay? They got from Aroera, that was by Nachal Arnon, and the city that was in the middle of the of the stream, Adamishor Admedeva, okay. Khashbon Mukol Area, Asherba Mishor Divon, Uamot Baal, Ubedwal Meon. Sorry, this is a little bit redundant, but you got all of these cities, Vyatza, Okdemot, Umefaat, you got these cities, Vikiriataim, they also got a city called Kiriataim, Vesibma, Vitseret, Ashachar, Behara Haemek, they got the Tseret Hashachar in the in the mountain that's in the valley. Uvet Peor, Veashdota Piska, Uvet Hashimot. 
all of these other cities. Then all of the cities of the Mishor and the kingdoms of Sichon, uh, they conquered all of those, and it goes through all of the kings that they conquered from Sichon, or the princes of Sichon that they conquered. Bet Bil'am ben Be'or HaKosem Haregu b'nei Yisrael b'cherev el-chalem And a part of this battle, to defeat Sichon, to give land to the Reubenites, to Reuven, there was Bilamos. Bilam was also killed in that battle, which we remember from the Torah already, because yes. the Torah told us yes. that they, Bilam ben Be'or Haregu Be'harev, right? So we know that they already killed Bilam ben Be'or. Here it's repeating it, but here it adds another word that's very fascinating. And Bilam, son of Be'or, Hakosem, the magician, <laughs> they killed uh, B'nai Israel by the sword. That is a that is a magician. I'm gonna I'm gonna read for you. I'm gonna read for you the radak to confirm exactly what you may be thinking. This was the borders of Reuven. Okay. Um, radak. What does that mean? The magician. To tell you that that Bilam was not a navi. He was a kosem. He was a magician. Now, if you're yeah, was there a in the Torah, him and in the Torah we keep on saying now, he was a, uh, so a level of Moshe. Okay. Comparing it to Moshe. So from here you see the difference between Midrash and Peshat. Okay, wow. this is a classic example. Classic, classic difference between Midrash and Peshat. Right here we have Peshat. Radak was a Pashtan. Tells us. Rashi says that the Kosem is a actual sorcerer that can actually. The translation is Rashi. Right, the, the thing. But if they were to follow Radak, they would say magician because he's very clear about what his beliefs are. What's so here's the difference a, magician and sorcerer? The same thing. The magician is, is yes. sleight of hand. Magician would be fake. I, at least according to how the Radak is on the sorcerer same Sorcerer is different. Sorcerer is uh, using... Now, uh, now I want... Um, yeah. but that's also, we don't Benji, do you have the Rambam Plus on your phone? I don't. You don't have the Rambam uh, thing? Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, I mean, according to Rambam, it's a it's all, it's all Here. So, uh, let me see if I can open it on my phone. Uh, 